Planet Football with John Bradley, Premier League, European and International. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Good evening, footballing world. Good evening, world. This is Planet Football on 105.9 City Talk with me, John Bradley, and with Statman John. Good evening. This is the football show that will tell you what's happening here, there and everywhere. We're going to deal with football all around the world. This is the global game. Tonight, coming up, we will deal with what's going on in Spain at the moment. Why does Spain just travel absolutely everywhere to play football, except, it seems, play at home in Spain? We're also going to preview the Champions League games this coming week. They start, of course, tonight. In fact, the first game's just kicked off now between Spartak Moscow and Benfica. And before six o'clock tonight... An exclusive and a very, very special interview. Joey Barton, heightened, born and bred, of course, joins us on the phone live from Marseille on his year in Provence. It's all on the way on Planet Football between now and six o'clock. Planet Football, City Talk 105.9. Right, let's crack on now because I want to go to Spain uh, and I want to talk to Tim Stannard, who is the man out there who knows everything that is going on. Uh, you can catch up with Tim. Uh, his Twitter is at La Liga Loca. Uh, it's well worth following. Uh, you'll also catch up with Tim on 442.com and football365.com. And there's so much to talk about in Spain at the moment. Good evening, Tim. Good evening. Nice to hear from you. Um, Tim, can, can we start off with uh, just looking back at the, the, the weekend just gone by in Spain? Because uh, pretty much with the top teams, it's as you were, isn't it? Yeah, it was a completely sort of predictable weekend, you could say, for Real Madrid and Barcelona. I think beforehand I said I, they both played on Saturday night home games. Barca took on Zaragoza, Real Madrid took on Atletico Bilbao, and I predicted nine goals between them and said it was only eight. Barca probably should have scored a couple more. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just exactly as you were. And, and when you look at the Premier League and you had those results from Manchester United and Chelsea, yeah, but you wouldn't call them shocks, would you? Because it's a competitive league where, you know, what team A has a very good chance against team B, unlike in the, uh, the Primera, which is sadly very predictable for those two. The one thing that was a surprise this weekend is that Real scored five against Bilbao and Cristiano didn't score. I know he must have been quite annoyed because, of course, Messi was... This is going to say it again. Messi was outstanding against Zaragoza. It's incredible. He's just had his first kid, so you thought he'd be a bit sleep-deprived. He's been, you know, to and from Argentina all the time, carrying that country as well, as well as carrying his own team, but he doesn't seem to be tidy. He seems to be sharper in every single match. Uh, And it was incredible. Yeah, Ronaldo... Just didn't, yeah. He did okay, but um, didn't manage to get on the score sheet. So I think he's five behind now. So he'll be wanting to sort that out against. Uh, I think Atletico Madrid are coming up. He normally gets quite a few against them. Uh, well, I want to talk about Madrid in the coming weeks, just because everyone, obviously, in England and Britain at the moment, loves Falcao. But me, in particular, I love Adrian Lopez. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But we'll talk to about him in the future. What I do want to talk about today is Athletic Bilbao, who caught the imagination of everyone in Europe last season with their run uh, all the way to the final of uh, the Europa League. And everyone's saying they're a club in crisis and Bielsa may be going and and all sorts is going on. But they're in a pretty similar position to where they were last year, aren't they? 
Yeah, well, just before going into the Real Madrid game, they had 14 points. I think that might have changed after this round, of course. But um, it's a very different kind of vibe about it, though. They they got 14 points last season after 11 games, but they had a very slow start as the sort of players were trying to work out Bielsa's new tactics. But then they went on that in, an incredible run in La Liga, in Europe, and uh, in, the, in the Copa del Rey as well to get through to those two finals. This year, it's, 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 it's totally different. It's a really horrible atmosphere around... Athletic uh, Bilbao at the moment. Llorente hasn't started a league game, which is incredible. I think he's played just 212 minutes, so he's on the bench. You've got players sort of really bad-tempered getting themselves sent off, and uh, they sort of had enough of Bielsa. It's one of those managers that when it works well, everyone's behind him, but he's not really strong on communication, let's say. He sort of mumbles, stares at the ground, doesn't really have any kind of personal bond with the players. So when things don't go very well... Yeah, he's not the kind of one you need to get out of crisis. And I saw an interesting stat that he actually hasn't been in charge of a club for more than two years ever in his career. And actually, the last time he was in charge of a club was a brief spell in '98 for Espanyol. So he's basically suited to the international game. I think when uh, you're just with your players for two or three days, but if you're with him day in day out, I think it's a bit of a chore. I think they're fed up with him. What, what what's basically changed then? Because in terms of the personnel, I think what Javi Martinez has gone, uh, Gabilondo has gone. And uh, Adoritz has come in, hasn't he? But but in terms of that, the personnel's pretty similar. Well, Javi Martinez going was it was a huge blow for them. Uh, it's good for money, but um, the way he went as well. So at the moment, I think Athletic have the second worst defence in the Premier, and they they concede the most shots on target as well. So that protection just isn't there anymore, and the defence looks lost. It looks a shambles. And not having Urente just, well, through choice, really, is you know, is taking away their main weapon up front. Adoritz is fine, but he's limited, and he's not going to get as many goals as Urente. So weaker at the back, weaker up front. And that fighting spirit, the way the Athletic Bilbao played was like sort of Barcelona juiced up, wasn't it? The way they challenged every ball, the way mm. they put in every tackle. Yeah. They're just not doing that anymore. So it's partly personnel. It's partly just lack of motivation and lack of team spirit and the, the cliche is they're not playing for the manager at the moment that's my feeling are they going to be able to spend any money in january i mean they got the net 30 million up uh, on this position last year well it's a tricky one they're actually um i think they have no debt whatsoever which is not something you have with any football club but they know because who are you going to buy that's the thing that athletic will battle they you know they could sell your rent they could have sold your rent in having martinez over the summer got 70 80 million in the bank but It'll be sitting there because, uh, you know, unless you've got anyone of any quality out there to buy in, and there isn't really one. There's Benyat at Betis is doing well. Technically, apparently, uh, Gonzalo Iguain through his family could play for Atletico <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure he'd want to move, but... I'm not playing centre-half. <laughs> well, yeah, they could just sit. They can sit on that money, but there's not many best players out there, and those that are good enough would have um, moved already, basically. Let's look at the national team, because obviously they went off on their travels once again last week. Uh, and Johnny's been uh, finding out just a few little facts about how far they've travelled since they won the World Cup in 2010, haven't you, John? Yeah, I mean, they've had 13 friendlies that were uh, real friendlies. They've had a few warm-up games for the Euros, and they played in the fair play day for, uh, for UEFA. But 13 games they've chosen... They've racked up 66,500 miles. Um, How many millions as well is that? <laughs> well, the last, uh, the last uh, Panama game, apparently it's reported that they got uh, 3 million euros for. So they have had seven away games in the Americas, 63,000 miles travelling to Mexico, Argentina, Venezuela. Basically, they've been everywhere, haven't they? Puerto Rico and Panama. Panama. 
<laughs> it just beggars belief. Tim, what's the feeling like? Do people mind in Spain? I mean, obviously, there's the problems about the games not being televised due to a lack of finances and the, the countries wanting too much to, to show the games. But how is that all being viewed down in Spain now? Well, yeah, the friendlies is, is a ridiculous thing. It's, it's, it's I think, a sad resignation that these people they are now world champions and therefore they can they can command quite a fee. And let's say the fees probably isn't getting to the players, but there's two reasons for it. One is going into the coffers of the Spanish FA. And I remember seeing a story last year that the players are actually owed money from um, the World Cup and the European Championships. I'm not sure that's been rectified yet. And two, it's political, really. The... Um, one of the FIFA bigwigs is the head of the Spanish FA. I think he's a vice, one of the vice presidents, Angel Villa, and uh, yeah, he, he's, he's shoring up support in these regions, basically, um, to keep his place. So, yeah, they're using Spain, basically, as a way to bankroll the federation and a little bit of a political toy as well. And the players are not particularly keen on it. Some of those, obviously, maybe on the fringes are called up. They're fine. But if you are someone like Ike Casillas or Sergio Ramos, Xavi Alonso, Xavi Hernandez, in fact, the two Chavis were, were arrested for the recent Panama trip, then I think you're pretty fed up because you're not seeing your families and you're, you're not you know, getting anything from these games. Cesc Fabregas said that you know, the Panama game, fine, it's okay, but you, it won't be any preparation for their next uh, World Cup qualifier. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and he's right. And, and Vincente de Bosque is doing the right thing by saying, of course, it's good that all people all over the world can come and see us, but the tickets once in those stadiums are normally too high for the locals. But someone's pocketing some money out of it anyway, somewhere. I was in Denmark for the under-21s a couple of years ago, and Spain were, were fantastic in that. They weren't great in the Olympics, but I've seen the under-19s, I've seen the under-18s as well. And there is a production line of great young Spanish players. How much of that money do we feel, is, or, or, or do they say, is going into the development of the future Spanish team? Uh, I've no idea on that one, basically, because um, <laughs> I haven't seen the accounts. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, for a league that's horrendously badly organised, they are the, the Spanish Federation itself it, it has been doing very well, as you said, through the under-21s, the under-19, under-18, under-17s. They're normally either world or European championship winners, so I presume some of the money is going through there. But I think some of the players would quite like to see themselves maybe picking up some of the appearance money, and, and why not? Do you know, do you know what will be amazing for people over here listening to that, Tim, is that you've just said that the Spanish league is so badly organised. For people outside of Spain, it is the best league in the world at the moment. Technically, it's superior to everyone else. It's got the two best teams, probably, and you're saying it's horrendously organised. <laughs> yeah, well, I disagree. I, th- I think the Premier League, people in Spain still think the Premier League is superior in terms of competition, um, in terms of having as we talked about earlier, having matches where you're not quite sure what's going to happen. You may have technically better mm, players yeah. in two of the sides, but if you look outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona and all the best players, you know, leave Valencia, don't they? Juan Mata goes and having Martinez left Athletic, I'm sure Llorente will be the next one to leave. So Santi Cazorla, no one in the league could even afford to buy him. And Michu, who was a player I saw a lot at Rio last season, a fantastic player, and he left for €3 million because no one could afford to buy him as well. So... It's, all, it's badly organised. The timetable is a mess. You don't know when the games are going to take place until about a week or two before. Have they still you not have... sorted that out, by the way? No. I think three weeks now is the most they can give you. So we've got an idea when the matches are early December. But apart from that, no. And it's something we everyone constantly, constantly complains about. And, you know, on a, on a Monday night now at 9.30, you've got uh, Real Sociedad against Raya Vallecano, which, is, you know, it's going to be tough for, for if you've got a family or if you've got a job. It's going to be a, it's a very late night. Um, is there a clamour for the national side to play more games at home? Because, I mean, the three internationals, friendly internationals they've had, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela and Colombia, not exactly going to pull the crowds in. 
Um, the next one will. I think it's going to be, correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to be Portugal um, in Vigo. And the way they do do it in Spain is to uh, they move their, they play all over the country because they don't really have a, a home. It's also local politics as well. So you basically get all the regions to vote for you to be head of the, of the Spanish FA. So it's a bit of a football for them, but not really a massive clamour. No, I think they, they they could do without the uh, the transatlantic trips. I'm sure if they played someone like Sweden or Finland, you know, in Europe, just a two or three hour flight, they'd be fine with that. But well, the, the only people the, they do play in Europe are the ones that can afford them. So Portugal, Italy, yeah. and England are the three internationals the friendly internationals have had. Yeah, I mean, even England won. They, they, it was a little bit half-hearted from Spain, I thought. I know England got a good result there, but they were sort of a bit meh about it. Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, right, let's move away from the uh, national team. Let's talk about the, the one good news uh, item that there has been in Spain this year, and that is the form of Malaga in the Champions League. Uh, basically, it, it's taken everyone by surprise, given the financial turmoil at the club in the summer when it looked like every single player was going to leave. You've already mentioned Santi Cazola and people like that, but uh, Rondon has gone as well. But uh, they've been fantastic, haven't they? They've been very good in the Champions League. They've been outstanding, and they still haven't been paid the money that was owed to them. Um, they were supposed to have been paid uh, what was owed to them on by the 1st of November, but that day came and went, and the owner came all the way to, for a couple of weeks, and nothing's been nothing's been fixed. So they are... And maybe this has affected their league form a little bit. They have uh, haven't won in four, and they've lost their last two... Well, they drew with the weekend and lost their last two games before that. So, yeah, they, they're doing okay in the Champions League, and they're already qualified, and they, they're resting Saviola and Joaquin, who are the two important players in, for the trip to Zenit. But they're really struggling in the league, and I think part of it is probably fatigue, and part of it is just very fed up, because you're doing an incredible job and not getting paid for it. Isco has been the player of the Champions League so far. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful talent. I know he played in the Olympics in the summer. Where's he going in his next move? Have they already started touting him around in Spain? Yeah, his agent, I think, would quite like that. And I think the club would quite like to sell him as well. So he's the, he's the new Cazorla, you could say. So he was he's benefited from Cazorla's moves, but uh, it's going to be ultimately to, to Malaga's cost. But, and this is a kid who, yeah, you'll find it very hard to get into the Spain squad at the moment because there's just an enormous queue. Santi Cazorla can't even get a starting berth. So what choices, uh, what option is Isco go? So some 20, 22 million euros, I think you'll get him, maybe not over the winter, if they have a good Champions League campaign, perhaps over the summer he's the next one to go. And basically, the Malaga drama is just going to go on and on, isn't it, till the financial situation is sorted once and for all? Yeah, and the, the truth is, people say, why aren't they getting paid? But no one knows. There, there hasn't really been any dialogue or to explain what has been the problem. The players have been, they said, have been caught up to date and, and given payment dates and payment dates which are missed. But nobody actually knows why, supposedly, one of the richest people on the planet can't pay his staff. And maybe that's why he is one of the richest people on the planet. That's brilliant, Tim. Thanks for joining us. It's been great to talk to you. And thanks for the update from Spanish. Thanks, I'll play for, that. thanks for the update from Spain. I can say that now. <laughs> Cheers, Tim. Thanks a lot. Cheers, bye. Cheers. Don't forget, you can keep up with Tim at La Liga Loca. That is at La Liga, L-I-G-A, Loca, L-O-C-A on Twitter. He's also on 442.com and every Monday and Friday at football365.com to keep you fully updated with everything that's happening over in Spain. This is Planet Football on 105.9 City Talk. This is Planet Football with John Bradley, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. In a moment, we will preview the week's Champions League action with Rob Daly from UEFA.com. Uh, first, though, a few little bits on bobs of news that have caught 
mine and Statman John's eye this week. Johnny, what's happening? Uh, well, the big news in Poland is they have a new president of their FA, a name familiar to uh, most football fans. Uh, Boniek is now the uh, president, and he's uh, been slagging off his uh, the previous president, one of his ex-teammates, Mr. Lato, and uh, he's took control and promises... Uh, why, is, why is he taking charge? What, what's his interest, John? Um, despite the fact he doesn't live in Poland... Where does he live? He lives in Italy, okay. as you would. <laughs> well, he played for Juventus he for did. all those years, didn't he? Um, he's still a very proud Polish... Uh, Icon, and uh, he's, he's, the, he's the greatest player Poland never produces. I he? think he probably is, and I mean he's slagged off the FA. They managed to put their F- uh, Polish Cup final on a Tuesday afternoon, which is even <laughs> even going pretty well compared to our FA. Saturday tea time, Tuesday afternoon, but I, I guess it's not as important over there. Um, oh. And obviously there is the roof fiasco. He's uh, criticised them on everything, so he's going to take control and promise to brave new world. Okay. Let's move on then to the Confederations Cup. The teams who are playing in it have been announced. It's next summer it's in Brazil, basically. Well, as well as the uh, African Nation Cup winners, when that's finished, we have Japan, we have Mexico, we have Tahiti, we have Uruguay, we have Spain, we have Brazil, and then the big ones, we have Tahiti. (laughs) The footballing powerhouse of Tahiti. Uh, And there's no no, uh, disrespect to any Tahitians listening, by the way. But uh, that's it. There are two grounds that are going to be ready for the deadline, uh, which was originally set, which was 15th of December. Uh, but the four remaining grounds, uh, including the Maracana, uh, are... It's going to be played in rubble, is what you're it's saying. It's going to be played in rubble. It's going on to be played on, on the beach. It's going to be played anywhere because they've only got two grounds. And are the players going to have to wear hard hats when playing in these stadiums that aren't finished? Uh they probably basically, are. Basically, they are. Right, very quickly as well, before we get on to previewing the Champions League, what's going on in Qatar at the moment, or in particular World Cup 2022? Uh, two things. One, they have yet to decide whether it's going to be a summer tournament or a winter tournament. They are promising they will make a decision soon. I'm not quite sure what soon is. Probably next six months. Uh, and the second thing is there is yet another corruption allegation this time over a £1 million sponsorship deal for a gala dinner, which actually only cost £200,000. Anyway, FIFA are going to spring into action, so they will report sometime after Great. 2022. Well, we're making no allegations whatsoever about Qatar 2022, FIFA or nothing. We'd never do that on Planet Football. Good evening, Rob Daly. Good evening, John. You are right? <laughs> yeah, I'm very well. Rob is the uh, presenter of UEFA.com's Match Day Live radio show. Um, I've done plenty on that as well. Uh, it's a fantastic programme that keeps you updated on all the UEFA Champions League action. When the games are on, it's Match Day 5 this week, and Rob has taken time out from uh, preparing for his show, of course, which is uh, starting in about oh, just over an hour's time uh, to get ready for the games tonight. And, uh, Rob, it's a big week of the uh, UEFA Champions League, isn't it? Yeah, because we're starting to get the groups all set in shape and some teams have already progressed to the round of 16. So it's now a battle for some teams to try and cement second spot. Some teams are out of the running already for a round of 16 play. So the best they can hope for is scraping third spot and transferring into the UEFA Europa League for the new year round. So it's really, really going to get interesting this week. Rob, let, let, let's start off because uh, Group G's already underway tonight. Of course, Spartak Moskva against at Barcelona uh, has already kicked off in the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow. Uh, 
the result last time out where Celtic basically overcame the odds and overcame everything to beat Barcelona. I think that the it's the lowest percentage a team has had of possession to win a game in the UEFA Champions League, isn't it? I'm, I'm right in saying that when Celtic beat Barca? Quite astonishing, wasn't it, how they sat back and Neil Lennon made it pretty clear before the game that this was the way we, we were going to do that. We can't, you can't out-possession Barcelona. So there was no point, so they sat back and played on the counter-attack and got that result. I think, didn't Barca have close to 80% possession or something absolutely loopy? Um, so in the end, they got the they got the victory, Celtic, and we all remember the the scenes at Parkhead, the celebrations and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I think everyone and, uh, will remember them forever. Rod uh, Stewart yeah. crying, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't see that too often. But it's, it's you know it's a it's just a little dent in European football for Barca because they are such a, a force and they they won at the weekend. They are looking very com- convincing domestically. They beat Real Zaragoza. By three goals to one, Messi with another couple as he closes in on that Gert Muller record as well for goals in a calendar year. Um, but they, they, despite their excellent start domestically, they haven't been great in the Champions League, and they were actually losing at home to Spartak, weren't they, on match day one, and had to turn it around with late goals, and they had to come and get it back against Celtic as well at home, as well as in Scotland, and you know, not entirely convincing in Europe, but I'm sure they'll be uh, amongst those teams in the. Basically, basically, Spartak are the most inconsistent team in European <laughs> football, be it domestically in their league or in the UEFA Champions League. They were fantastic on match day one uh, at Barcelona and they've been pretty woeful since, apart from when they beat Benfica. Now, let's move on to Benfica Celtic because that's probably, uh, apart from Juve Chelsea, the big game tonight, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge and two sort of great European names, aren't they? Benfica and Celtic really disrupted Real Madrid's dominance of the competition when it was known as the European Champion Clubs Cup or European Cup or whatever you want to call it in the early years. So it's two great European names. They played out a rather dull goal of straw, didn't they? Celtic and Benfica on match day one. But really, Benfica are going to have to chase it because they're three points behind Celtic in the group um, and a win will take them level with Celtic and ahead of them on the head-to-head which could be so crucial again into match day six because you, I, I don't know what you think, John, but do you think Barca will win at Spartak and and see them off, and then it's between Benfica and? I, I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever that I will not make a prediction on the Barca <laughs> on the Barca Spartak game because you cannot predict what Spartak Moscow no. do. But they are without a few players at the moment, um, and I think that it'll be very difficult for them. Right, I want to move on to um, the game. In what is becoming a very interesting group tonight, Norshilan against Shakhtar Donetsk and Juventus against Chelsea. Now, Chelsea were very, very lucky to beat Shakhtar at Stamford Bridge last time out after being given a football lesson in Ukraine. So, how's this group going to basically shape out now? Well, it's difficult to say. Norshilan can't reach the round of 16, so the best they can hope for is. Europa League football, but even that's a stretch because they're five points behind Juventus who are in third spot. It's difficult to call, so it's between Shakhtar, Chelsea and Juve. Shakhtar top of the top of the group at the moment, but only on a slight head-to-head advantage um, against Chelsea having scored more goals at Stamford Bridge, so it's really tight up there. Chelsea away at Juve, I think we're all looking forward to that because it was such a great game at Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? Where Chelsea were 2-0 up and Juve fought back and then it was a it was a real tussle between them. But Shakhtar, who hadn't lost in the, in the Ukrainian Premier League since October of last year, 
they lost at the weekend to Arsenal Kiev, so and they lost to Chelsea. So two, two defeats in three. They hadn't been losing at all Majelicheski's side. And it just seems that that defeat to Chelsea might have just unsettled them a little bit. They've won every game this season up to uh, that game, of course. Uh, obviously, they drew away at Juve, but uh, they've got to lose sometime, haven't they? I mean, with, yeah. with Dinamo, Kiev struggling this season, we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, Dnipro and Metaleg are the two teams that are challenging them. But Shakhtar are a good side, aren't they? And I think they're, they're probably the up-and-coming side this year, in, in the uh, along with Malaga, in the uh, Champions League. Yeah, they sort of started to grow into this tournament, starting to mature. They perhaps lacked a little bit of belief in the UEFA Champions League. They had done well, obviously, in in other UEFA competitions, but they really felt like they belonged. And I think that unbeaten record at the start of the season was the reason. You know, Michele Luchescu was talking about his Shakhtar team in terms of invincibility, that feeling of confidence, which just sees you through to win games. Um, but they've only won one of their last, you know, six away games in the UEFA Champions League. And North Shelland have actually looked pretty decent. They did get uh, thrashed by Juve last night. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They drew 1-1 with Juve at home yeah. and should have won that, really. Yeah. And the 4-0 to Chelsea was misleading. Listen, we're not being disrespectful to any Danes whatsoever. Uh, I want to quickly look at the, the other two groups as well with the games tonight. The the world's, uh, the, the group involving Galatasaray, Manchester United, Cluj and Braga. Uh, briefly, that win that Manchester United had last time out at the quarry has just sorted them out in this, in this group, hasn't it? Yeah, top of the group, 12 points. They're just so far beyond the other three that it's already done. And it's a... Perfect situation for Alex, Alex Ferguson. Last year, obviously, he went to match day six yeah. and they didn't make it through. And now he can chuck out some of the younger players because they do look a little bit stretchy. Tried to rotate things for the Norwich game at the weekend, didn't they? And that sort of cost them playing uh, Chicharito up front and they didn't win the game. So they go to Gala uh, tonight and they beat them 1-0 just about on match day one. The, the Turkish side, perhaps a touch unlucky not to come away from Old Trafford with something. And the other game in the group... Um, who's, going really, th- who's going through with them, Rob? Give us, a, give us a, a, the shout, who's going through with Manchester United? I would say... I, would say, I know... I, see, I don't think Braga are good enough. I'm not convinced by Braga. And see if our clues have really hit a bad run. So I'm going to guess Galatasaray. Um, OK. Well, they were, very good at, they were very good at Old Trafford, weren't they, on, uh, on match day one? Okay. Really good. Cool. Yeah. Right, let's move on to uh, Group F quickly because Bate have now uh, won their league title over in Belarus. Uh, Lille are, uh, have been awful this year, let's be honest, in the Champions League. Uh, Valencia and, uh, and Bayern is the big game. And, and Bayern, of course, was superb last time out. 6-1 winners over Lille. Not too bad at all. And, of course, I, I think me and you were working together that night. They had no Mario Gomez. They had no Mandzukic. So they played Claudio Pizarro, had that sort of torrid time at Chelsea. And he Claudio it. Pizarro's a player, mate. I've always said it. I've yeah. always said it. I know he struggled in England, but he's a player. Yeah, and he banged in a banged in a hat-trick, didn't he, as well against Lille. Um, so, so Bayern, top of the group in the minute with nine points. Level with Valencia in second, who have nine as well. But they have a head-to-head advantage because Bayern beat them earlier in the tournament. Uh, and then Barté, a third with six points. So they need a, w- a win against Lille tonight to stay in the hunt, really, going into match day six. But Barté have had some good performances. They beat Bayern already this season. Yeah. They've come off the back of two defeats to Valencia. So they've got themselves into a bit of a tricky position there, Khamcherenko's side. OK, quickly, I want to look at tomorrow night's games as well. We'll just do this briefly. Uh, Porto against Dinamo Zagreb. Dinamo Zagreb are the make-wakes in the group, aren't they? Yeah, 
having a miserable time. They lost every group game last season. They've lost every group game this. And Antti Chacic, who's their manager, has been sort of using this excuse, you know, saying, we haven't got any competition domestically. They do run away with things, Croatia. So when we come to the Champions League, we're not performing. But really, Shakhtar have got the same problem, haven't they? They are so superior at the Mm, minute to everyone in Ukraine. And they're still doing so well in the Champions League and Croatian football suffering as a result. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Ukrainian football because Dinamo Kiev are taking on Paris Saint-Germain and, of course, the man of the moment, as he has become basically only in Britain, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimović. Yeah, he didn't exist in this country, did he, until that (laughs) four goal? No, they didn't like him because he didn't put a shift in. (laughs) I know. We seem to have a problem with this, don't we? We ignore the brilliance. They have to be working... Uh, exceptionally hard as well. Ancelotti says PSG at the moment are in uh, are in crisis. They lost at the weekend. They even facing um, nine men. I think it was Ren ended up with, uh, but they were without Ibra. He was suspended. Um, so he was suspended for kung fu kicking someone, wasn't he? Two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Santetian's goalkeeper right in the chest. Bit nasty. Uh, but he's so he's going to be back for the UEFA Champions League fresh and first time he's played since that game. Uh, against England, so they uh, they won 4-0 last time out against Dinamo Zagreb. Interesting group in Group B, because it could either be done tomorrow night or it could be just thrown wide open. Schalke, Olympiakos, Arsenal, Montpellier. Yeah, Montpellier have been miserable in the competition, one point, the French champions. They, they go to Arsenal, so Arsenal will be thinking, we've got to win that. They're second with seven points. Schalke topped the group with eight after their excellent two performances against Arsenal. Uh, and if they win and they're through ahead of Olympiacos. So, big chance there for Schalke. So, if Schalke beat Olympiacos uh, and Arsenal beat Montpellier, if my math is right, just looking at the numbers here, I think they're both through. Yeah, basically, that's the situation, yeah. isn't it? Uh, Group C, Zenit against Malaga, and Zenit obviously having problems on and off the field at the moment, and elect Milan. That's a group that basically has taken us all by surprise because Malaga are the team that are through. Yeah, you probably would have said... They'd be the team who wouldn't progress before the before the group stage started, and we obviously there's been a lot of talk about the players they've lost. Candola's obviously come over here and taken them on by storm, really. In Rondon, they've lost a lot of players, but they've just been brilliant. And um, Isco's been the star. He scored two goals for Malaga against Zenit um, uh, back on match day one. So he'll be hoping to cause the Russian side some problems again. I think. And in uh, Group D. Uh, Ajax against Dortmund, Manchester City against Real Madrid. This is a really rubbish group, this, isn't it? It's the group that keeps on giving. It's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> Ajax are home to Borussia Dortmund. So Dortmund uh, it's not. It, hey, it doesn't keep on giving if you're a Manchester City fan, my <laughs> it friend. Doesn't, no. no, City having a, a sorry time, obviously. And top of the Premier League again, but two points from their uh, four group games. They're in a difficult position. I mean, it's... It just can't happen, can it? Dortmund have eight points. Real Madrid have seven in second. City need to win, um, and it's a big ask. Real Madrid winning 5-1 against Athletic Bilbao at the weekend, and both teams scoring five. But, you know, Real Madrid will, I think, fancy themselves at the Etihad Stadium, to be honest, to at least get a point and and knock City out of the running. Rob, every week we're going to have you on. We're going to ask you who's going to win the Champions League this season. Who's going to win the Champions League this season, Rob? You're putting me on the spot here. Exactly. I'm going to go with... It's, it's who you feel this week will win. It can change next week. Oh, it can change each yeah. week. Oh, We're really? going to see how many times it changes. <laughs> OK, well, can I go with... Uh, let's have an out. Let's be interesting and say Bruce Dortmund. And say at least I think they'll get to the last four in the final. Just to mix it up. And then I'll completely... You can't. No, we want someone to win it. We don't want semi-finalists. Oh, we want oh. someone who's going to win it. 
All right, I'll go with Dortmund for now. Let's go with Dortmund. That's absolute rubbish. Rob, enjoy the uh, Champions League tonight and tomorrow, and I will be seeing you tomorrow night because uh, I'm at the Etihad with you, aren't I? So uh, I'll catch up with you then. Thanks for joining us on Planet Football, Paul. Cheers, John and John. Premier League, European and International. Planet Football, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football 105.9 City Talk. Uh, our very, well, our very first special guest who joins us is the man who's having his year in Provence, Mr. Joseph Barton. Afternoon, Joey. All right, mate. Tell me about what's going on down there because, as far as I was aware, you were supposed to play at the weekend and you didn't. Yeah, there was a bit of uh, confusion. Um over the deadline of their sign for Marseille on the night of the 31st because there was a few other deals well there was another deal linked to it so we had to wait for that to go through um, and then Man City played Queen's Park Rangers on the Saturday which was the first and I thought I was eligible for me getting to count as the French deadline was until the 4th of January um, so I was registered or I was deregistered by QPR on the 31st thinking that either the Marseille against Wren game, which was the second on the Sunday, would count, or the Man City game against Queen's Park Rangers. So I thought one of them would count towards me bad. Subsequently, I realised that neither of them did. Um, and if we would have been clever, or we would have played the system a little bit, I could have left um, I could have left uh, QPR on the, on the second or the third, and obviously the Man City game would have counted. But I was hoping common sense would prevail from... Uh, the powers that be and as in most or 99.9% of the cases uh, common sense didn't prevail um, <laughs> but such is life you know it, me- it meant to serve, I served one, one game further which is frustrating I mean and obviously it was, a, it was a big game Marseille obviously lost last night to to, to, to uh, uh, or lost the game to Bordeaux so you know that was frustrating obviously to miss that game but you know I'm back um, to play in the Europa League game on, on Thursday night against Fenerbahce which is probably do or die, you know, it's a must-win game. And then, you know, Leo in, in the league and, and, and Leon, you know, both to come, which is, you know, a very difficult start for, for me personally, but, you know, also difficult games for the team because, you know, they're, they're a very strong side. I know not many people would have would have seen the game. It was live on ESPN in the country last night, so a few would have seen the game at Bordeaux. The pitch was absolutely shocking, wasn't it? And it was a good chance for you to, to take uh, apart PSG, who basically got beat with nine men the night before, hadn't they? Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange out here. I mean, the league's very tight this this season. I mean, everyone was expecting, I think, with the amount of money Paris has, have spent, you know, they're, they're probably the, the biggest spenders in Europe, you know, if not on par with Chelsea, probably a little bit more, you know, with, with the uh, bringing in Ibrahimovic and Thiago, and Thiago Mata and Pastore, you name it, you know, they've, they've, been, they've had an influx of stars all, you know, in the region of 20 plus million each player. So, you know, they've had a significant uh, output. Uh, but everyone was expecting them to to be, you know, hosing the league and winning every game. And obviously they got they, they lost the home to Ren. And, you know, we slipped up at, at Bordeaux and Lyon, you know, have, have, have stepped in now and they're now leading the table. And, you know, there's five or six teams, you know, from, from first to, to sixth position, I think three points separates them. So it sets, it sets the French Championship up for a, a really competitive finish. I mean... You know, I was disappointed watching the game last night on TV. I mean, you know, the, the, the surfaces aren't the same as, as the Premier League here. I mean, you know, Bordeaux, I think the Bordeaux rugby team played on the same pitch as Bordeaux. So, 
I've seen I've seen Valbuena a few times, obviously when they've played Liverpool and stuff, and he's decent. He's a great player. Gignac and Remy have all been linked with English clubs down the years. How good are these lads working day in with day out with them? Yeah, I mean, there's some real quality here. I mean, you know, finances um, aren't the same as the Premier League in France, but Marseille are one of the, you know, Marseille and Paris have got the biggest pull. Probably, I think Marseille have got more fans in France than, than any other side. I think. 12 million at last count so you know it's a massive massive side but you know it's a side that's, that's lost the likes of um, Lucho Gonzalez Asquilla Petter who's, who's gone to, to Chelsea they you know they, they've lost a number of um, strong players so any team would feel that and there would be a transition period and you know for me being there but not taking part in the league game it, it has felt a little bit like that it has felt a little bit like the club's in a, in a transition phase but yet they got such a great start of the season that it blown it blown everyone's expectations. I mean they finished I think they finished tenth in the championship last year and got to the quarters of the semi finals of the Champions League. So um obviously the call up they won the cup as well, which qualified them to the Europa League this season and, and, and I think if, if if the truth be told, I don't you know, the numbers in the squad um start to take a toll on the squad a little bit. Have you Sorry, mate. Have you enjoyed playing in the Europa League this year? Yeah, I have. I mean, it, it, it's obviously good to test yourself against, uh, you know, sides who have finished in the, you know, in the higher echelons of their leagues, and you know, the Europa League now is, is really competitive. There's some really good sides in there, and you know, I mean, we we weren't faced with the easiest of groups. I mean, Munich and Gladbach, uh, I think, had a great season in Germany last year, and although they lost uh, Marco Rose to Dortmund, who was obviously an influential player for them. They're still a solid unit, you know, the Germans are always well organised and still a solid, solid team. And then Tenabache, you know, the pool, you know, people who will listen to radio space will know all about, you know, Ralph and Alice and uh, Cow, but they've got some other, you know, really good Turkish players and, and then a load of Brazilians mixed in there. You know, Alex was, was, was uh, a really good player. He didn't have a great engine, but technically was very gifted in, in the home game, which was my day when uh, Listen, what, what, what's it like life in France away from the football pitch? How are you settling in? I know you've got the nipper over there and the missus, but, but what's life like? At, you know, is, you, you quite. I know you enjoy different cultures, but has it been different for you or difficult for you? Yeah, I mean the language initially was a, was a problem. You know, I mean the first couple of training sessions, I think, wasn't the on about. 
I mean, now I can abuse anyone in French. I can, <laughs> I can moan at people in French. I can, I, can, uh, I can cuss, I can curse, I can do everything that you need to do to get by, you know. Uh, and I can also go down the shop and order food. So I'm getting there. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm immersed in the language, so it's, it's a lot easier to learn when you're living here and living in the culture. You know, the south of France is, is a lovely place to live. You know, the Marseille faithful and, and all the people at the club are taken to me. You know, I've been more than welcome with open arms. And we feel, as weird as it seems, this is a spiritual football at home, you know. It really feels like I've come home. I'm looking forward to, to getting into the into the season, getting playing week in, week out, and, and showing the, the Marseille front as well as all of us. Are you keeping in touch with football back at home, by the way? What, what have you made on uh, football on Merseyside? That's great to see Everton being a stronger team on Merseyside as an Everton. It's been a long time. I think the last time was about 1985, and I was three, which I can't remember. Um, yeah, so it's been a while, mate. And, you know, the testament to today's voice has been, I think, Liverpool as a football club is in a transition period. You know, you're, you're getting rid of the old guard and Are you, are you are you certain now? I mean, has the tide changed? Are Everton now, in your opinion, the better team on Merseyside? I don't know. I mean, the derby would say otherwise because uh, Suarez goal was definitely not offside, so the pool would have won the game. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's really close. That that's the great thing about it. I think it's really competitive again for for a long time. It was only Liverpool. Uh, you know, certainly in my childhood, the games I went to, Liverpool were always better. You know, they were always challenging for trophies. All my mates were always going to the cup finals and I was never going, you know. They were the Mike Walker, you know, I would get up. You know, it was only the Joe Royal sort of cup final that I can remember that. It um, was really positive for any, you know, Evertonian in my age. So, you know, Moisey's he's done a great job there. I think on, you know, limited resources, you know, I think he's, he's swimming against the tide a little bit in terms of he has to, you know, he has to make the, the, the books balance. Um, you know, because the club's in a precarious financial position. So, you know, it, even more so, especially when you see Liverpool going out and spending, you know, 20 million on Henderson, 35 million on, on Carroll, 26 million on Suarez, you know, and, and, uh, and Moises scraping around, you know, uh, you know, trying to do deals to, to, to put the club in a good position. It, 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 it's difficult, but, you know, he's done a fantastic job. Listen, I remember when you signed there and we talked about. The, the Marseille and the fans and the club itself and we talked about the velodrome as a stadium I've been there for World Cup matches I've been there for Champions League matches what's it like are other fans as mental there week in week out as they have been when I've been there oh yeah I mean any, any Liverpool fan who's seen them um, because I remember going to the game Liverpool against Marseille at, uh, at Anfield when Valbuena scored um, and you'd see them that night, you know, they're really passionate. It, it, there's an almost, in, in, in continental Europe, there's almost an, uh, an ultra kind of feel. It, it's very similar to the old uh, 
the old 1980s soccer casuals, you know, the old football hooligan that you watch on, on telly. There's a lot of that in the culture. Not so much the hooliganism and the violence, but, you know, the culture of that extreme sort of football fan that it's more than a, uh, a football um, obsession. You know, they, they are obsessed and it, it, it's almost like a family. So, you know, as a player... It, and certainly as a player who, who, who really likes to interact with fans and really, you know, appreciates genuine football fans and, and what they've got to say about the game. For me, I love it, you know, I think it's, it, it's healthy. I think, you know, obviously, like anywhere else, there'll be one or two, you um, say, far too much of the extreme. But I'd rather see people with passion and people who care and people who, you know, really enjoy the football um, than people who just turn up and pay the money and they're almost a casual spectator and it's just it's almost like the cool thing to do oh yeah I went to the 40th of the weekend which is what, what, what I feel is creeped into the game yeah. you know the, the people with money have, have gone to the game now and, 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 and the, the genuine football fan the genuine person who, who loves the game and loves the football and, and really looks forward to going to it can't afford to go to the game anymore and it, it, it's quite sad but that's what you get when you get consumerism in football and, <laughs> and the Premier League is the biggest consumeristic product there is in football at the minute. That's life, though. Everything's consumeristic, isn't it? I know, listen, we've kept you for, for so long, Joe. I know you've got things to do, so good luck against Lille at the weekend. Um, Good luck against Fenerbahce on Thursday as well. I know, Fenerbahce, I forgot that. But obviously, it's your league debut this coming weekend, so good luck with that. And we'll probably give you a ring next week to see how you got on as well. So thanks for being with us, pal, and good luck this week. All right, for that, top man, good to speak to you, mate. See you soon, pal, for Thanks to Joey Barton, who joined us live on the phone from Marseille. Seems very happy with life, doesn't he? Very happy, very relaxed on top form. Yep, always nice to hear as well because he is a good lad no matter what you do see. Thanks to Tim Stannard, thanks to Rob Daly as well and thanks to Joey for joining us on this first ever episode of Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Thanks to you, Statman John. You'll be back next week with all the latest on the news and all the stats from around Europe and the world of football, won't you? Yep, cheers. Top man. And we will see you soon. Thanks for being with us. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9.